The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Many in the church are now so gullible and biblically illiterate that they'll listen eagerly to wolves in sheep's clothing who infiltrate and lead many astray, just as Jesus sadly predicted would happen. In these days prior to the second coming of the Lord, believers require the utmost discernment because the Lord solemnly warned us that deception would be the number one snare and entrapment in the last days. There is a dictum of deception that I want to address in today's program, and we keep hearing it ad nauseum. And that is, all we need is love, love, love. But is love the be-all and end-all of the gospel? Or is obedience to God's moral law also required? Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Love, 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 it's easy. The song All You Need Is Love was written in 1967 and the Beatles performed it as Britain's contribution to the first ever live global TV link called Our World. The broadcast was watched by over 400 million people in 25 countries and it epitomized the maudlin utopian sentiments of the summer of love in 1967 when 100,000 hippies converged in San Francisco and many other places in the United States, Canada, and Europe. All we need is love. One famous sermon recently mentioned love 66 times within 13 minutes. But confusion over what is biblical love has now spiraled into epic proportions. In the West, we reportedly now have more cohabitating couples, more births out of wedlock, more sexually transmitted diseases, as well as higher suicide rates than in any other time of history. Congregations are being told by apostates that God loves them and requires no repentance. They say people can choose to live as they like and do what's right in their own eyes because the main thing is they just have to love people. But the Bible tells us that that's a fake gospel. It's been rightly said that Satan's most cunning work is to tempt those who claim to speak for God to preach another gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul said very boldly in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That means literally let him be under a divine curse. Our generation is obsessed with romantic love hoping to find somebody of any gender to satisfy deep emotional needs. But we need to ask again, what is lust and what is the true biblical love of God? Well, many believers know that the New Testament love has more than one definition. For example, let's digress for a moment to explain 
when I was growing up in America, a cup of coffee was just a plain cup of coffee, not very sophisticated. Coffee was either black or white, and that was it. But then the coffee culture exploded, and having a cup of coffee became an incredibly specialized art. So do I want an espresso, a latte today, a cappuccino, a skinny latte, an Americano, a macchiato, or a flat white? By the way, I still don't quite understand what's a flat white, but new versions of enjoying a cup of coffee continue to be created and celebrated. But did you know that the ancient Greeks were almost as diverse when they talked about love? Somebody has rightly said that the ancient Greeks would have been appalled by our lack of imagination in using only the single word love to describe on the one hand when we whisper I love you over a candlelight dinner or when we casually end an email with the expression lots of love. Popular Christian writer C.S. Lewis wrote an important book that I read years ago called the Four Loves, and he differentiated between all the Greek words for love in the New Testament. Passionate desire, sexual attraction in the Greek language was the word eros, named after the Greek god of fertility. But I find it fascinating that the Greeks didn't always think of eros as something positive, like Hollywood idealizes romantic love all the time. Eros, or the Latin equivalent Cupid, was a god portrayed in classical Greek art as a handsome winged youth. But during the Hellenistic period, Eros, Cupid, was increasingly portrayed as a chubby winged boy with a bow and arrow. And a person who was shot by Cupid's arrow was filled, or you could even say poisoned, with uncontrollable desire. Eris is also the kind of love when there's a so-called negative fatal attraction to somebody. I suppose that's what it means to be madly in love. There was a chick flick in the 90s called Truly Madly Deeply that kind of sums up the emotions associated with Eris love. The gospel, according to Hollywood, also reinforces the notion that you can dump or trade in your sweetheart or spouse once they no longer supply what you need, and you can replace them like you do with a new model, a better car. So Cupid is a greedy, merciless god, and he has no place being extolled in the churches. But in authentic Christianity, the concept of eros, erotic love, is sanctified within the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. The New Testament teaches that the marriage bed is undefiled. Hebrews 13.4 in the New Testament is a very important verse. It says marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because it says God will judge the sexually immoral. He will judge adulterers. In the recorded words of Jesus, we hear from him a clarion call for repentance and a demand for the highest ethics in sexual morality. 
But is that the Jesus you hear preached today in churches? No. People aren't excommunicated for living with partners without the benefit of holy matrimony. Yet there's the biblical warning that we must remain pure in heart because only the pure will see God. Now, a second definition of love in the Greek culture was philia, or friendship, comradeship, which the Greeks valued or honored higher than erotic love. Philia concerned the deep friendships forged between brothers, for example, comrades in arm, companionship on the battlefield. Philia is also about showing loyalty to friends, sacrificing for friends, sharing your emotions with them. C.S. Lewis said that true friendships, like the bond between David and Jonathan in the Bible, are almost a lost art. Recently, I did a program on the importance of real relationships, especially in localities where we actually live. And in the Internet age, when it's deemed important to amass great numbers of friends and followers on Facebook and Twitter, it's important to ask ourselves, how many comrades and friendship of genuine and deep affection do we really have in life? The example in the New Testament most often cited for the philia type of love is found in John 21, where the resurrected Jesus asks the repentant apostle Peter three times, Do you love me? The question was posed three times because Peter had, you recall, denied the Lord three times. And Peter answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the word for love used by Peter in that confrontation is the brotherly, deep friendship affection, philia love. Another kind of love in the Greek language, similar to philia, is the affection between parents and their children. But the love of God was what in Greek? Agape. Agape has been defined as the most radical kind of love because it gives. It's selfless. It doesn't take. Eros takes. Philia love gives and takes. But agape love gives unconditionally. Agape was later translated into Latin as caritas, the origin of our English word charity. But in today's world, charity is too narrow a word to describe the depths of agape. C.S. Lewis referred to agape as gift love, which he called the highest form of Christian love. Agape is the love that exists regardless of changing circumstances. God has that kind of agape love towards Israel, and he's also given me that kind of unconditional love for Israel. It's an eternal love. By the way, in Hebrew, the feminine noun, ahava, can describe the love of husband and wife, but also God's love for his people, as well as deep abiding friendship. You see, the Lord created us with a need to be loved, and that's one reason why we need to guard our hearts carefully. The Lord himself can meet the need for unconditional love within our hearts through the power of His Holy Spirit. But there's growing concern that manifestations of agape may be in dangerous decline 
as the love of many is growing cold. Empathy levels are dropping and we urgently need to revive our capacity to care about strangers, for example. This Bible admonishes us to stay on good terms with everybody, to be ready with a meal or for a bed of hospitality when it's needed. Why, some have even extended hospitality to angels without ever knowing it. This Bible tells us to regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them, to look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you, and to honor marriage. The Bible exhorts us to guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between husbands and wives because God draws a very big red line against casual, illicit sex. Paul had been writing to the promiscuous Corinthians about all sorts of problems, but then suddenly he stopped and just waxed lyrical for a whole chapter and described a copy like this. He said, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but don't have love, agape love, I have become nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, if I have the gift of prophecy and if I know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith to remove mountains, but I don't have love, agape, I'm nothing. And he said, if I give away all my possessions to the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I still don't have love, it's going to profit me nothing. Love is patient, he said. It's kind. It's not jealous. The God kind of love doesn't brag. It's certainly not arrogant and so forth. But it rejoices with the truth. Paul said agape love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. Well, in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul also explained that agape love fulfills the whole Torah of God. Hadn't Jesus reminded his disciples that by this godly love, all men will recognize that we're his disciples. And where agape love is demonstrated, the fruit of the Spirit will just naturally manifest joy, peace, gentleness, faith, self-control, all the fruits flow out of genuine biblical love. In other words, if we're motivated by agape love, it won't be easy to do wrong, such as indulging in an adulterous affair, because the agape love of God within us will restrain us and protect us from hurting others and ourselves through the selfish act of adultery. Yes, God is love, but... Unlike sentimental love, John the Apostle defined God's love as the way of the cross, the way of renunciation, the way of self-denial, the way of obedience. Jesus defined this kind of gospel love best in John 14, 15, where he said, If you love me, you will keep, you will obey my commandments. So the converse of that is if we don't keep his commandments, if we don't guard his moral law, we're demonstrating that we really don't love him. But if you just want to be popular within the world, you 
won't invite sinners to obey the Lord's commandments to live a holy and pure life. That's why many souls will someday hear the terrible rebuke of the Lord. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So watch out. There are two kinds of Christianity being preached in the world today. One contains the cross and teaches repentance and sanctifies sexual desire. But the other kind, Christianity light, fake Christianity, tragically claims that anything goes as long as you somehow vaguely believe in Jesus. This watered-down Christianity is a crossless Christianity, and it's powerless to change or to reform anything. Ultimately, diluted Christianity will be fruitless because it's not the authentic, repentant life that Jesus taught. The real reason that Jesus came was to proclaim the messianic kingdom of heaven. The authentic Jesus told us that social justice would never be fully realized in this age. The authentic Jesus plainly stated that marriage was instituted by God to be solemnized between a man and a woman. And by the way, which would you rather have, a real Coke or a Diet Coke? I have to admit that I've always liked Coca-Cola, although I can't allow myself to indulge in them anymore. But the no-calorie light colas have never appealed to me. I can taste the difference. And to me, the fake taste is just not worth it. I want the real thing. And Christianity light is also fake and leaves a bad taste. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Bishop Ashenden wrote that Christianity light appeals to a lot of people who are not sold out and devoted to the Lord. Christianity light is user-friendly and reaches out to where people are hurting and assures them that everything's going to be all right on the night as long as we love everybody. Christianity light says poverty will go away as long as we love everybody. Christianity light speaks a lot about love and hope. And everyone likes to hear the mantras of love and hope. Buddhism, any religion, can hold out those words to you as enticements. But sentimental love does not define biblical love. Sentimental love isn't the sacrificial, obedient kind of love in God's word that Jesus preached. Frankly, I'm just amazed and troubled by some of today's misconceptions concerning the gospel. People can hear the most vapid sermon, and as long as Jesus or love are mentioned, people think they've heard the gospel preached. But the ethical theologian Richard Niebuhr, the younger brother of theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, Richard Niebuhr described watered-down Christianity. He described Christianity light. He said, it's a God without wrath who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. In Christianity light, sin is irrelevant. So if someone asks you, where can I find the clearest explanation of the authentic gospel in the Bible? What would you think? What would you say? Most Christians who have an elementary knowledge of the Bible would tell you that the gospel is defined in John 3, 16. 
That's the best known verse that people quote and sometimes we see it held up on placards in stadiums. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. While the good news of the kingdom of God is indeed contained in all four gospels in the New Testament and also in the epistles, in my opinion, one of the best Bible passages that gives an explanation of the gospel is in the Hebrew scriptures in Isaiah chapter 53. That chapter is known as the fifth gospel, or actually the first gospel, because it was written by the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. And because of its accurate detail about the atonement that Jesus bravely accomplished for us, Isaiah 53 is the most amazing Bible prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures. It says the Messiah was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and pains, acquainted with grief. But he bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we reckon him stricken, smitten by Elohim and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our crookedness, our sins and iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was laid upon him as a substitution for the punishment we should have received. And by his stripes, we are healed. You see, it was God's plan all along to bruise him. It was God who put him to suffering. God made the soul of Jesus an offering for sin for our collective sins. And that's agape love. In John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Also in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 3, I find this fascinating that Paul explained the gospel in terms of a business transaction. Think of a spreadsheet with a profit column and a loss column. Paul was a strict Torah observant Hebrew of Hebrews. But when he put his faith and trust in the risen Messiah Yeshua for his salvation, Paul lost all self-righteousness. He gained salvation because he gained the righteousness of Christ. The word gain in the Greek New Testament means profit. So when Paul met Jesus, he discovered a righteousness that wasn't his own through faith in the Messiah. He gained the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, Paul counted as loss everything that he once considered to be profit. And he gladly forfeited all his efforts of self-righteousness to gain the perfect righteousness of Christ, which is acceptable to God. Our own righteousness is not acceptable to God because the Bible says our efforts at righteousness amount to filthy rags. Zero. This gospel is free, but it's not without conditions. Jesus said there are conditions. We have to believe on him and repent and forsake our sins. Jesus commands us to turn back to repent so that we might find the straight and narrow way into the kingdom of God. We're also to submit ourselves to baptism as an outward sign of the inward work of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, now another end time mantra of deception are the words peace and safety or peace and security. One video I saw pieced together the scores of times that a well-known politician had called for peace and security and his words droned on repeatedly like a mantra reminding me of St. Paul's prediction in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. He said, while people are saying peace and safety, sudden destruction will come on them just like labor pains on a pregnant woman and they won't be able to escape. Someday soon the world is going to rejoice that a peace deal has finally been achieved in the Middle East. And we're dangerously close to that time now. In Daniel 9.27, there's an important prophecy that the Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for one week. And one week in biblical language is seven years. However, what will follow will be anything but peace because in the middle of the week, the Antichrist will double-cross the Jewish people and break the covenant. All hell will break loose, but in the end, Israel will be saved and the authentic Jesus will be seen returning to the earth as Lord, Judge, and King of Kings. Well, in wrapping up today, I'd like to say it's a special delight to hear from those of you who've been blessed and strengthened by these programs. So we invite you to contact us on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates and our free color magazine, Exploits, based upon Daniel 11:32. That verse says, The people who do know their God will be strong, not weak, and will take action. The King James translators rendered the verse, We'll do exploits. That means we'll do the works of Jesus according to our faith. Now, please also don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app, which connects you to watch all of our videos at any time, to make orders from our bookshop, to read the entire Bible, and to learn about our Holy Land tours. So download the app to your mobile phone or tablet free of charge. And so until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dard, Maranatha, and Shalom. Shalom from Jerusalem, the very center of the world and the city of God. Jerusalem is always inspiring to visit during the Jewish holiday, the Feast of Tabernacles coming up in September. And I'm personally inviting you to join us in the city of the great King for five nights of joyful celebration. Exploits Ministry has planned a special tour package, including participation with thousands of Israelis and guests from all over the world in the annual Jerusalem March. So bring your flags, banners, and walking shoes. We'll also explore many of the ancient wonders and spiritual highlights around the city. And we'll have a time of feasting and celebration. 
Our tour package includes options to stay at two of Jerusalem's nicest hotels, the panoramic Dan Jerusalem on Mount Scopus and the internationally famous and historic boutique American Colony Hotel, home of the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a Holy Land pilgrimage that you'll long remember. So plan now to come up to Jerusalem this September and join our Exploits Ministry at the Feast of Tabernacles. For details, check out our website at exploits.tv.